Well, good morning. It's uh, really good to see everybody today. Uh, really special uh, time to be able to be together. I, of course, I know most of you, and uh, even though Brent doesn't claim me as his son, uh, he... <laughs> That's, that's all right. <laughs> no, uh, it, it's, uh, it's especially nice to be able to work uh, together with Phil. One of the pleasures of this is to be able to listen to someone else, which we don't get a lot of opportunities to do. And, and that, is, uh, that is really nice. I greatly appreciated the lesson this morning. Perfect introduction for what I'm going to talk about. And uh, I'm excited that we can, we can be together uh, this week. So if you'll open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to 1 Peter chapter 1, I want you to notice a few things about uh, this, particular, this particular text. Uh, think for a moment what it would be like to have been ripped from your homeland and taken to a completely different area where you didn't know anybody and you were scattered even away from your own friends, your own brethren, the people that you love the most, maybe even in some cases of, of family members. And you are in an area where people think you are absolutely nuts. You are so strange. You are so weird. And, and everywhere you go, they're, they're pointing fingers at you. Those, there's those people that uh, have basically invaded us and they've come here. And now they live this lifestyle that we don't even get. I think of the loneliness that would have gone on. And I think of the broad region of, uh, that these exiles had been taken to. Uh, Peter describes them as those in dispersion of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. All this northern Asia Minor, northern Galatia area. And they're scattered throughout that, uh, that, that time. You come together, if you will, with them this morning. Come together with them on a Sunday when the brethren got together to meet. And as you are gathering, you wonder what the atmosphere is. I'm sure happy to see each other. Happy to be around each other. Happy to have this day when they could enjoy that. And then the reader of the congregation walks in and he says a letter from Peter a letter from Peter oh wow you know Peter you and you were with Peter in Rome before the you were taken away a letter from Peter how nice how great oh Man, recline, sit down, whatever the reader is going to read for us, the letter from Peter. And he starts out with these beautiful words, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. I would just thrill your heart as he went on to read. And he begins to talk about the trials that you're going through and the sufferings that you've dealt with and then talks about how to, how to handle those things. And he's encouraging and he's, he's urging to be who you ought to be. And then he gets toward the end of his letter and as the reader reads, he says these words, Do not be surprised 
at the fiery trial when it comes. How are you feeling about that one? What if uh, these last two years that we had two and a half years or whatever, I guess it's close to three now, as we've been dealing with some of the things that have gone on and then a letter from an apostle comes and says, oh, if you thought that was something, brace yourself. Get ready for the fiery trial when it comes. In fact, do not be surprised. Here it comes. I have to admit a little nervousness would hit me. A little, huh, oh, what, 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 what are you talking about? I thought what we were going through were trials. I thought we were already in the trials. You said, you said in the beginning of the letter that the trials were just for a little while and we were going to handle this, but all of a sudden, get ready and don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you. Think of Peter just writing those words as he would dictate the letter and feel how those people would feel when they were going to hear these words. One of the things that stands out in the very beginning, I think is the root of, of all that Peter writes, is these beginning words in verse 3 as they were read to you, and how it connects over even to chapter 1 and verse 23, when he says he that by his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And then later in chapter 1 and verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Peter starts everything out with being born again and then talks about throughout this text the idea of the rejoicing and joy that you have because of what God has done for you. I would like you to take a look at this just a little bit. To take a look at how we respond to trials. How do we, how do we feel them? How do we go about them? Yes, there, there's, there's toughness to it. There's, a, there's, as he says here, grieved by some of these various trials. But what is our response? When Peter says that God has caused you to be born again to a living hope, and then bases his his next point when he gets down to chapter 123, since you have been born again, he calls upon us to understand a principle that Jesus brought up with Nicodemus. He talked about the difference between being born of the Spirit and being born of the flesh. And we look at that and we say, yeah, okay, we understand that, you know, there's that fleshly birth where we we're born from a human being. And then there's that spiritual birth. And that's what's really important to us, to be reborn in that spiritual birth, to have, be, have freedom from sin. And yet, on the other hand, do we live as if we were born again when these trials come, when these difficulties come, when they are grieving us, are we living just like the rest of the world lives? Are we responding like everyone else? Are we grieved in the way that everyone else is grieved by it? How did you respond in this last trial? 
How have all of us responded? Did we respond just like the rest of the world did? Are we still living based upon the perishable seed of which we were reborn? So consider just for a minute, this is a lo- somewhat a long little text here, and I'm not going to talk about everything in this text. But I want you to see a few things in the text just so you feel the progression of the text. He begins here by His great mercy He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. First and foremost, He says your rebirth is based upon the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You will be living from now on based upon the power of bringing a brand new life. You're a new creation, as Paul would say. You live that way. And this is an inheritance that's imperishable and defiled. This is unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. By God's power, it's being guarded. But then look at look at verse, uh, verse 6 when he says, In this you rejoice. Even though for a little while you are being grieved by these various trials. But in this you rejoice. In what? In this fact that God has caused you to be born again to this living hope. And that He has all of this plan for you. In this you rejoice that you have this. And yes, even though now you're grieving a little while because of these trials... But this is even going to affect you either because you understand that the trials are purposeful. There's a reason for them. He is taking you and refining you and making you like gold refined by fire. And this is all so that you can receive praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look what He's doing. And therefore, He says again, Though you do not see Him, in verse 8, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him, you rejoice with that joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. When I look at that text, you know the, 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 the little phrase that I think strikes me maybe the most. You've never seen Him. Sometimes we don't relate like we should to first century Christians. Well, you know, they saw it. No, they didn't see him. You've never seen Him. They believed and came to faith without ever seeing Him, knowing Him personally, physically on earth. You've never seen Him, but you love Him. You don't now see Him, but you love Him and you trust Him and you believe in Him. There's a motivation. You have been born again to this living hope and you trust Him and you love Him. It's a critical foundation. Every Christian, every seeker, every believer should always step back and say, do I love Him? Not in some kind of antiseptic way. Do I love Him more deeply than any passion, any feeling, anything that is in me? Do I love Him so much beyond that that if you ask me to compare it to my mother or my father, my brother or my sister, my husband or my wife, I would say I hate them in comparison. Those are the words Jesus gave. Love Him. 
And then those very words, when he goes on to say again in verse 8, rejoicing, you rejoice in verse 6. Yes, there's some trials. Then you have this rejoicing in verse 8. And in each case, it's present tense. He's not saying, okay, now look, this life is going to be a real bummer at times. Boy, is it going to be tough. But it's okay because everything's going to be made better in heaven. So just endure it, suffer, go around grumbling like this is just the pits, but you know, in heaven it'll be great. That's not the way he refers to it. He says, look, you love Him and now you can rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Okay, please ask yourself this question. Is this the way we live? Is that the way you lived through COVID? Is that the way you live when tough trials come to you personally in your life? Do you are you able to live in a state of saying, I, I love him and I rejoice with a joy I can't explain to someone else. It's inexpressible. It is filled with glory. And the reason is, is because I've been born again to a living hope. I don't live like that fleshly person used to live, grumbling and complaining and murmuring about every crazy thing that goes on in this life. Is that the way we live? This, would, this, this text, just in an overview, causes us, I would hope, to learn the importance, some critical lessons about the importance of not responding like fleshly people respond. We're not fleshly people anymore. We are different people. We have been given something that no one else has. And because of that, we need to no longer live as if we were not born again. We need to no longer be falling apart all the time as if we do not have a father. Do you love in the Sermon on the Mount when, when Jesus talks about things and possessions and needs and whether or not God will provide. He says, don't you know your heavenly Father knows that you need these things? You imagine uh, when Brent was young, if you can imagine. It's not much different, frankly. (laughs) He said to me one day, I suppose he was probably five or six, well, what are we having for dinner? I said, uh, ah, we decided we're not going to eat dinner tonight. <laughs> that food is still just as important to him today. <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. What do you, you don't have to cry. We're going to have dinner. <laughs> we're going to have dinner. <laughs> 6 30 in the morning, he would come up and put his, his year and a half old, he'd pet his face about this far away from me. And I would feel the presence and I would open my eyes and he'd go, pancakes, eggs, bacon, breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, okay, okay. Let me, uh, hamburgers, ketchup, I don't care. Get something in me. I think when that made me think about God. You really think your father is not going to take care of you? 
Oh, come on. This is why he says, look, I, by my great mercy, caused you to be able to be born again to a life that isn't like that. You don't have to fall apart anymore. You don't have to walk around wondering whether or not I'm going to provide for you. All the Gentiles are looking for those things. All the Gentiles do that, Jesus said. You have a Father in heaven. I have to admit to you, I get bummed at sometimes, and I know I'm not being critical, but I get bummed at sometimes when I hear a guy pray, God, I, I just so love the words, Father. That's just comforting. It just all starts there. Father. He is our Father. Do we really think that He is not going to take care of this? Let me note one other thing with you concerning this. Do you notice what Peter does not mention? He does not mention the political climate of the day. And you know what I think of? Because I love history and I love to read about history. And, and first century history is quite interesting to me. And it, it's something else to think. Hey, Peter, in about two to three years, Nero is going to put you and Paul to death. Do you not remember when Paul said to the Corinthians back a few years ago, the, 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 this world, the fashion of this world is passing away and that everything is going to be different and if you're married, you're going to be living like as if you weren't and it, it is, everything is going to be a mess. Do you not even know that? You're not even talking about those things. Your Roman society is going to go nuts. And Peter's like, yeah, he does. You talk about it. You read Luke in the book of Acts. And, and he talks about persecution. He talks about all kinds of things. That happen. He talks about apostles getting killed. He didn't tell you anything about really the political climate of the day. He just says, well, these are the things that happen. Either happened because, just as Peter says in chapter 4 and verse 12, do not be surprised when a fiery trial comes to you. We want to emphasize that word surprise. Don't be surprised. Why would you be surprised? There's no surprise. This is the way this works. God has inserted Himself into the world. God has inserted His people into the world to mess it up. In a good sense. To mess it up. To bring it back to where He wants it. To, in, to in, infect the world with light. And He doesn't mention this political climate. As I was thinking about this, it caused me to look back over my life and just think about the presidents that I've lived under. I Don't tell me it's been half of them. It hasn't quite. But it's close. <laughs> My first memory is Happy Days, the 50s. And if you saw that TV show, you know what I'm talking about. I love the fawns. You start to comb his hair. Hey, it's already there. You know, that's great. The 50s, Eisenhower. Ah, it was so cool. He'd play golf. We'd sit back and enjoy. Elvis Presley started singing. What more could you want? And then, the next election, oh no, a Catholic is going to be president. 
Oh, I remember all the sermons that were preached. The Catholic Church is going to take over. The Pope will tell the Kennedys what to do. Oh, we can't vote for them. My mom took me out in the garage. She said, I don't care what Dad says. I'm voting for Kennedy. Oh, whoa. Don't tell him. Oh, hey, he wasn't bad. He was a pretty cool guy. I liked his energy. And such, oh, somebody shot him. Oh, man, everything's going to pot. What? The next guy's sending more people to Vietnam. My, my friends are coming home in a box. People are rioting. I gotta grow my hair long. This is terrible. Oh no. Nixon's president. Well, maybe that's good. Well, the war ended. Ah, he's not a good guy. Yuck. Oh wow. We got a guy we didn't even elect became president. Ooh, gas lines. Whoa. I can't believe this. Oh man. A guy who believes in God became president. Oh, the inflation is terrible. My mortgage rate is 15 and a half percent. How am I going to live? Oh, Grandpa became president. Reagan, how nice he's for somebody shot him too. Oh, that's not good. We're, we're really in trouble now. A Bush is going to be in the White House. No new taxes. Read my lips. He raised taxes. This is terrible. You know, oh man. Clinton's going in the White House? Goodness, this guy's a philanderer. I, even Arkansas didn't vote for him. What are we doing here? Ah, oh, we'll impeach him. That doesn't work. Oh, another Bush. What will that be like? 9-11! Yuck! This is terrible. This is awful. Oh, a new president. The first black president ever. That's fantastic. What a recession. He is killing me. Oh, man. What's with the tweeting? Who's this next guy? Orange man is killing me. What are we doing around here? Oh, grandpa's president again. Oh, man. The inflation is back. That's my whole life in a nutshell. <laughs> I mean, what? Do you do you see the point here? Every single thing flipping out. And now I look back on it and go, whatever. <laughs> I, I can just laugh about it. I can, we can talk about it. Yeah, those are crazy days. You know, it was steady the whole time. God. God was always there. He's always taking care of it. I, I, I think of the Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 18 when he talks about the guy who is serving God and he's content. He says his life, he doesn't much think of the events of his life for they just sail by. Yeah, there were some waves. He just sails right on by because he's looking to the one who is eternal. There's what Peter's doing. That's why he's saying you can rejoice, you can have joy inexpressible and filled with glory because you don't live going up and down with the waves of the sea as this life tends to give us. Our hope is living. It never disappoints, he says. It's, it's never fades. It, we never grow tired of it. Can you think of anything in this life you think of any comparison, anything in this life that you don't grow tired of, that doesn't get old, that doesn't eventually disappoint. No, you read Ecclesiastes and the very first words and the last words are, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. This is just like everything that you think is going to be good. It goes, whoop, whoop, gone. 
Every single time. Yeah, put all your hopes and dreams in getting that. Well, I'm going to get that car. That's great. And you know what it's going to do? It's going to break. And you're going to get mad at it. <laughs> i got to fix it. When I moved out of an apartment into my first house, <sighs> Saturdays came. <laughs> Wait a minute, i got to fix things. When I see an apartment, I just called somebody else to fix it. It never ends. Everything is always disappointing in this life. I began to meditate on this and think about this for quite some time. What is it in this life? Is there something in this life that I can grab hold of and say, this profits, this is something that I never get tired of. This is more fun every day I do it. And all of a sudden it hit me. Oh yes, there is one thing. Every time I sit down and open my Bible and discover God, it gets better every day. It never grows old. It never disappoints. Every single time I think this is so much fun. And I, I hear guys like Phil and Marty and so many others that give lessons and oftentimes they will just open a new door for me in the house I thought I had explored so much and I go oh no it's going to take me 10 more years to explore that house I'm getting a little frustrated now at this age I don't know that I have enough time no I don't <laughs> to discover the universe he has given us in this beautiful book that shows us him it's not the facts, it's not the things, it's not the rules, it's not the commandments, it's Him, it's His heart, it's the mind of Christ being revealed to us. It's a critical lesson this. It is time to stop living as if we're in the flesh. Not responding that way anymore. And live as those who have been born to a living heart. So how does that happen? How can we do that? What are some of the things that Peter says here? Here's the reasons that we ought to be able to live this way. The first one that he talks about is it is undefiled. Think about that word for a moment. It is undefiled. Everything in this life sooner or later just becomes defiled. Even if it's not something sinful. It's things that Satan takes that are even good that God has given. And he tries to get us to put our hope and dreams and trust in. He defiles good things. That's what he does. That is what's, you know, we, we, have, we all mourn to see the, the sins and the degradation that goes on in our country. And we mourn over this thing. When, why do we mourn? Well, yes, there's some of it that we, we just hate to see that old good stuff go. But mostly it is we hate to see God defiled. We need to see God's word defiled. We need to see God's ways defiled. We need to see Him profaned and defiled. It's so, it, we, we hate that. And yet what He's saying is I'm offering you undefiled. Listen to the words that Isaiah began his prophecy with in Isaiah 1 verse 5 and 6. 
He says, the whole head is sick. The whole heart faint. From the sole, the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds, they are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. He's describing Israel as this putrid, sick, decaying person because they've defiled themselves with everything that's unholy. Sin defiles. The world defiles. The world makes us sick inside when the outside may look okay, but that's not what it is. Only God has health. Only God has that which is undefiled. Listen to the words of of John in Revelation 21. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Look again, 22, 14, and 15. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Outside, I think the greatest promise of our heavenly home. There's no defilement. No more sin. No more temptation. Can you imagine living in the United States of America? What if we were living in the United States of America? We're living in this, this great and beautiful country. We're living here. And every single person, no exceptions, every single person lives righteously before God and follows truth. Huh. Can't even imagine a thing. He says, that's God. That's, that's, that's what God's making us. He's making us into that people where we will enjoy that completely undefiled, imperishable. Not like, not like gold and silver. Not like all these other possessions where moth and rust come in, it's imperishable. It can never be taken away. It can never go away. It is a treasure you can keep buying over and over again and it will not wear out and it will not grow old. It's not like anything you've ever touched. And it's guarded. I was thinking... So many, many times, I, I can tell you one of my earliest concerns when I read the Bible was reading about kings <clears throat> who God said, when uh, and their, his summation of them being a king, said they did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Except. I hate that word, except. <laughs> and you read men like Asa. After reigning good for like 38 years, all of a sudden he just rejects prophets who come to him and does not put his trust in God. And, and kings like Jehoash, who actually murders the son of the priest who led him all those years. And Saul, Saul, Saul. The last thing we read of Saul his heart was turned away from God. And I got scared. 20-something, I thought, oh no. I don't know. 
Can I make it? Will I be able to get there? I don't want to do what they did. I don't want to mess up at the end. I don't want to mess up when I get close to the end. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to lose that. It's not impossible, obviously, to lose it. But I love these words, guarded. Peter at the end of the letter says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who had called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish There's a lot of letters Paul will say. Paul will say that in 1 Thessalonians. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You want to get there, He'll get you there. You've got to want it. But He will get you there. God is faithful and He will do it. It's one of those beautiful things. And you know the last thing that Peter talks about here. I don't know how much you ever thought about this. You're Isaiah. And you're, you're preaching to the people. And you are saying some things. You haven't got the slightest idea of what it means. <laughs> I can just see that. When you, especially when you get to Isaiah 40. And you know, uh, Isaiah knew exactly where chapter 40 was. And so he, he's going, okay, chapter 40. From here on, this is going to be really confusing. A voice is crying in the wilderness. And Isaiah's thinking, what? Over and over again, he keeps talking about this. And finally, he turns around and he asks God and he inquires and searches carefully. What is this talking about? When is this happening? Who is this person? And he is simply told, it isn't for you. And we look back and we find out, it's for you. It's for you. And angels in heaven, can't you just see them? Angels are up there reading what God's revealing through the prophets and He's saying, they're going, chatter, 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 chatter. I mean, every morning at breakfast, whatever. They are chattering all the time about, what's it, what is it, what's coming? These glories that are going to be revealed. What are they, what are they, what are they? And Jesus was born. And the angels told the shepherds, what were they doing? Singing. It's all happening. The rejoicing when one person would come to Christ and repent. The angels are having parties in heaven. They're rejoicing. Just imagine all of heaven, all of the tens of thousands, ten times ten thousand, times ten thousand angels just having the greatest rejoicing you can think of because you became a Christian. Because you are living the way you ought to live. Because you are not living the perishable life, but the imperishable and looking for that. And in that you greatly rejoice. Just like they are, you're on the same page. That's the privileged position God has given us who cares about suffering. That's just a way to make us gold. That's just the way to bring us to praise and glory and honor, as he says at the end of verse 6. That's what that's about. Verse 7. Everything in heaven and earth has been looking to this time and to this point. Now, 
But one final thing. Look over at chapter 1 and verse 23. Verse 22 and 23. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable to the living and abiding Word of God. For all, quotation from Isaiah 40. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And in this and this word is good news that was preached to you. Since you have been born again. What? Love one another. Love one another earnestly with a pure heart. If we're born of imperishable seed, even though we can get a little irritated with each other at times, well, husbands and wives do too. Children and parents do. But you don't stop loving. You never stop loving. Because you're a different person. You're not that perishable person anymore. You're the imperishable. And what he talks about in Isaiah, he's telling them, look, everything that is flesh is like that grass out there that withers and dies. Everything that is flesh is like the flower of the field that is up one day and it dies. But that which has been born again by an imperishable seed, God took you and He implanted in you the power of His imperishable seed, bringing a brand new person to life, being born again to this living hope. And He's taken that and made it so you will never perish. You will always live to the greatest that could ever be imagined and beyond what you cannot be imagined. And therefore, in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, like a newborn infant, I want you to long for that spiritual milk because that's the one thing you have that will never perish, never grow old, you'll never get tired. And every day you can sit down and open it up and be born again all over again. The blessings are new every morning. And verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Would you like the word taste? We like food, don't we? (laughs) We love to taste. God says, taste this. Taste this, you can eat all you want. You won't get fat. Taste this, you can get fat on me. Taste this. It's great. So how are you living? The result of rebirth is tasting that goodness of the Lord so that we are shaped into His glory and for His glory. Are you really born again? Born from above? Born of the Spirit? Rejoicing in a joy inexpressible and filled with glory. That's the goal. If I can live like that, and all it takes me to drive one mile down the road, and it all vanishes at times, but if I can live like that, that's what's needed. Can we help you this morning? If you don't know the Lord, if you need the Lord, if you need to get right with the Lord, if you haven't 
come to Him, repenting of your sins, have been immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. You're living in a perishable world and a perishable state. Come to joy. And we can help you in any way. Please step forward. While together we stand and sit.